Paul writing to the Ephesian church, he reminds them what they were, but what they are. And he says in verse 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we ask you to open our hearts to your word. And we pray, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, you would open your word to our hearts and minds so that we might really understand and know your will, your thoughts, and that you would write them in our hearts and minds so that we would think your thoughts about ourselves, about others, and about this world, and about your glory and your goodness, and about you, Lord. We pray that you would help us this day. Lord, you know our needs. You know where we need to be changed and transformed. You know the things in us that are lacking. And Lord, we pray that you would supply those things and create in us, Lord, those things that you desire to see. But most of all, we pray that the name of your son, Jesus Christ, would be glorified in our lives. So teach us from your word this day how that comes about by your work and how we may better walk with you and serve you. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5, you know, this is the second half of the epistle where Paul is making application and talking how we are to live in light of the great truths that he set forth, and he sets forth some pretty great truths in these sections also but we come now to verse 8 of chapter 5 he's warned earlier about uh, we need to understand that there are uh, marks of being in Christ and there are marks of not being in Christ and if you notice earlier in verse uh, 3 when he, when he has said we are to walk in love as Christ also has loved us that is in verse 2 and given himself for us as offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. He said, that's what Christ did for us, and we are to learn to lay down our lives for our brethren. But then he says, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, meaning greediness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, and kind of verbal abuse really is how I think we probably understand that today, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Now note this, it says, this is what you shouldn't do. Here's what you should do. And it's like, well, if you have a problem with your tongue, and according to James, we all do, 
The tongue is an unruly member, he says, and it's set on fire of hell. It can destroy a lot. And as Solomon said in Proverbs, in the tongue is the power of life and of death. If you have a problem with your, your words, meaning your heart, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, start focusing on giving of thanks. Note that you can counter this bad habit of bad speech or uh, ugly speech by learning to be grateful. And by that, you need to really stop and consider and understand the gospel that Christ loved you and does love you and he died for you and rose again and he's the one that can change your life and start looking around like the song says count your blessings name them one by one start looking around how has god blessed you what are the good things for which you can give thanks to god for the promises of the gospel uh the promise of eternal life that christ died for you and rose again you have plenty to be thankful for your brothers and sisters the members of your family uh giving of thanks. So he says this is the, the key to getting away from those things. And then he warns about uh, those who are outside of Christ. He says, for this you know in verse 5, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man, and that means one who is given to um, desiring the things God hasn't ordained for a person to have. But he says a covetous man who is an idolater because they're putting things in the place of God. People like that have no one like that has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So he's saying, if a person is given over to such things, that's an indication they've never really come to Christ. Now, whatever they profess, or if you remember at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, or toward the end, when Jesus said, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. And he says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and in your name cast out demons or devils and in your name done many wonderful works so then i will profess to them i never knew you depart from me ye who work iniquity they said in your name we've done this we've done that they're pleading their works before the throne on judgment day they're saying all things they did and how they used the name of jesus like a tool and uh they said in your name we did all these things you know or by your name and he says i never knew you they never had a saving relationship with christ so paul says uh, people that live in this way, uh, fornicators, unclean person, person just given over to a sinful lifestyle, or a life, we should say, or covetous man who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because there are plenty of people who will tell you it doesn't matter how you live if you're in Christ. But it does. And so Paul says, don't let anyone deceive you with empty words. Now, Paul's not saying here that you're saved by your works. The people who want to uh, stand against any idea of holy living in the Christian life will usually, whenever they hear the Bible statement that, you know, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord, and that we're to repent of our sins and learn to walk with God. And if you have sin in your life, you need to confess it and forsake it. As David said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Um, they'll come and say, oh, well, that's salvation by works. We're not under the law. We don't really, you're not under the law. You think it's okay to steal, to steal, to commit murder, to commit adultery, to covet, to lie, uh, all those things. Uh, the New Testament's pretty clear. No, there's got to be a difference in your life. It's not salvation by your works. Now, well, I won't do those things. And I get to go to heaven. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus Christ changes lives. He takes wretches like me, and if I may be so bold, like you, 
and transforms them into vessels of mercy, conforming us to his image, working in us that which is well-pleasing in God's sight. And he's the one that does it. He gets all the glory and praise. But when he works in a person's life, there will be a difference. And we all fail miserably. John the Apostle even says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we have to recognize, I still have corruptions. I can't just let my heart do whatever it wants to do or as, you know, all the, the uh, uh, you know, the romance people say, oh, just follow your heart. I would advise not doing that because it will lead you straight to hell, okay? Uh, give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and then follow him, okay? Uh, but Paul says, don't let anyone deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So, beloved, there's a fight. It starts with ourselves, okay? Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. That word keep there is actually the Hebrew word shamar, which means to set a guard, uh, to stand guard. Remember when the angel was put at the entrance to Eden after Adam and Eve were thrown out? Uh, and he had a flaming sword that turned every which way. Uh, he was there to keep them from going back in to guard it. Uh, and so, you know, keep your heart with all diligence. Why? Because your heart can mess you up if you don't submit to Scripture. You have to take your heart and lead every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So he reminds him of that. And he says, therefore, do not be partakers with them. Don't hang around with people that are doing things that, that you know you shouldn't be doing. That doesn't mean you can't love them. doesn't mean you can't speak kindly to them. It's just they don't be partakers. Don't be in partnership with people that are involved in sin. It'll affect your life and it will mess you up. So you have to sometimes choose your friends wisely because the Bible does say don't be deceived elsewhere here he tells us not to but paul also said don't be deceived evil companions corrupt good morals so if you're hanging around with people that aren't interested in walking with god why are they comfortable with you okay it shows you've already compromised jesus said blessed are you when people despise you and separate from you for his sake so he says, don't be partakers with him. And so we come now to the section here. When you get it in context, that's why we went back and looked at those verses. So in verse 8, he tells him, for you were once darkness. Notice he doesn't say you were in darkness. He says you were darkness. You were the problem, okay? You once were darkness. That's your former life. He reminds him of this, you know. <clears throat> It's not just that the world tries to suppress the gospel or the world is living in spiritual deadness and ignorance and blindness and in rebellion against God. Paul's reminding them, that's the way you were until Christ began to work. You were once darkness. Jesus said, make sure that the light that is in you is not darkness. That's a pretty ominous statement, our Lord said. He said, for if the light that is in you is, is, is darkness, that is, it's really not light. It's what you just think is light. How great is that darkness? Well, how do you know that that's not what's going on? Well, the psalmist wrote and said, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light to my path. Go to scripture, find out what God says. God's word shines that light. But here's what he says. You, he's talking to the church there, the, the collective group of Christians in Ephesus. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So it's okay to recognize what you once were. 
But he says, you need to know who you now are. You're not darkness. You have clarity. Walk, you are uh, light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Know who you are and walk accordingly. When you find that you, you're, you know, your flesh is in the way, the world of flesh and the devil, as they say, that's where you confess sins. That's when you go to God. He says, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. The Holy Spirit brings forth fruit in the lives of those who have been born again. Now, there's an interesting thing about fruit, and we, you know, we read about your light in the Lord, walk in the light. Elsewhere in Scripture, it says God is light, and in him there is no darkness nor shadow of turning. God is consistent. He knows himself thoroughly, and he is good. The fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Those are the things we're to focus on. There's an interesting thing about fruit trees. If you cover them up and keep them in darkness, those of you who have fruit trees or know about agriculture, that's pretty much, I hope, everyone here. Will it bear fruit if it gets no light? The answer is no, it won't. Someone say, well, maybe reflected light or something like that. But if it, a tree, a fruit tree, a tree that should have fruit is in darkness, it won't bear any fruit. Trees have to have light. They're photosensitive. Guess what? So are you. That's why you need to walk in the light. When you do that, God begins to transform your life. And as Christians, that's what he is doing. So he says that the, the Holy Spirit is the one bringing forth this fruit in us. We walk in the light, but we depend upon God to do this. God is the one. You know, a tree doesn't make a decision to have fruit. If you go out and talk to a tree... I don't advise that. At least I don't do it when people are watching because um, they'll worry about you. But if you got to talk to a tree and ask it, you know, please, would you please decide to start bearing fruit? You can plead with it. You're going to feel kind of ignored. Okay. Give the tree a hug if you're a tree hugger and then go back in the house and, you know, hopefully somebody bought some fruit at the grocery store for you. You can talk to a tree. A tree brings forth fruit, but not by its decisions. Because that's the way it's made. That's what God designed it to do. Christian, you're designed to bear fruit. You walk in the light. It's going to happen. God will change your life. You get serious with God and you say, and that's by grace. That's not going to happen unless the Holy Spirit already begins to work. Say, Lord, change my life. I want to bear fruit. Note what he says here. The fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness. That is doing what's right, but also being just before God. Through the righteousness of Jesus Christ given to us freely as a gift and received by faith alone, trusting in the Lord. And truth, those are the realms that we say, well, when he says light, what's he talking about? Goodness, that is those things that are good before God. Righteousness, that means the imputed righteousness of Christ, but also it means walking according to God's word. And truth, the truth of God's word. Jesus said in John 17, 17, you should know that by now. I quote it all the time, and I quote it to myself when I'm not up in the pulpit quite a bit. When Jesus said, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So, you know, we need to learn to love our Bibles. We need to read them. We need to study them. We need to pray and ask God to show us what's in them. And that's what he says, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Now, that word finding out actually means to to learn by testing, by you know, approve by testing, finding out that is recognizing. You know what? I know what God says in Scripture. This is pleasing to the Lord. This was such an important uh, point at the Reformation because 
uh, during the, the Middle Ages, the medieval church had taught, well, you have to go on pilgrimages. You need to do the, say the rosary. You need to pray to the saints. You need to you know, do this. You need to do that. If you know anything about Luther's life before his conversion, he, I, as he said, if anyone could be saved by monkery, he said, I would have been saved by it because I did it all. And it brought him no peace whatsoever. At the Reformation, men, as they read God's word, they realized good works aren't whatever other religious people say. They are good, good works are the things that God says are good works. And that has to do with charitable deeds. You know, it says this is true. True religion is, uh, you know, having mercy and helping widows and orphans and taking uh, pity upon people that are in need and learning how to walk in a manner pleasing to God, speaking the truth to our neighbors. If you are employed, giving your employer an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. And if you're an employer, give your employees an honest day's pay for an honest day's work. So there's things like that we read in the Bible that, you know, how we are to conduct ourselves. And so we are to walk in the light, trusting the Holy Spirit to bring forth that fruit in our lives so that we can prove by testing. That is by doing what is acceptable to the Lord. Remember in Romans chapter 12, Paul says, uh, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, this is a very well-known text. I hope you have it memorized. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Let me see if I can get to it here and quote it correctly. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. And I love this next phrase, acceptable to God. God does approve of your efforts to live a holy life. Why? Because he's bringing it forth in you. And you say, yeah, but I fail miserably. Parents, you know, those of you who've raised little ones, who are raising little ones, if you remember when they first started to walk, you're really happy. And when they lose their balance and fall on their tush, you don't get angry at them. You help them back up or you encourage them. And you're, you're grateful and thankful that they were able to take those few steps. Okay? Um the same thing as Christians. Now, I'm not saying that God looks at our sins the same way when a child, you know, falls back down on its tail end. Uh, we need to, you know, recognize sin is much worse than that. But your efforts to live godly, God takes those into consideration. Uh, God delights to see you taking steps. And if you fall, what do you do? You get back up. And if you can't get back up, probably the way to get back up is to begin to pray. Say, Lord, please help me. I've fallen. Lord, I've sinned against you. But note, you're to present your bodies a living sacrifice holy. There's that word. Keeps coming up. It's not a bad word. It means to live a life separated unto God, separated from all the ugliness that's in the world. It doesn't mean we stand aloof from other people and think we're better than they are. If you're a Christian, you probably know in a lot of ways you're probably way worse than those other other guys are because the Holy Spirit's dealing with you and your sins. You know, when somebody wrote to Robert E. Lee after the Civil War, when he was the uh, uh, president of uh, Washington University, later Washington Lee, and they were basically it was a letter full of gossip. Okay, and they were saying, "Oh well, did you know that so and so is doing such and such?" And uh, they wanted to know what he thought about that. And he wrote back and he said, uh, "Typical of, of Robert E. Lee, yeah, quite the gentleman." He wrote back and said, uh, ma'am, he said, I have so many sins of my own that I have to deal with. I apologize to you, but I do not have time to deal with other people's. And uh, that's pretty, pretty good advice, I thought. They're a good example. 
We are called to be holy. God says you are holy. He calls you saints. That's what that word means. Hagioi. Okay. You're saints before God. You're separated unto him. He's the one that did it. He knows you're a saint. Getting our shoe leather to walk in that path is not always easy. But what does it say? Okay. He causes me to, to walk in the paths of righteousness. Or he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He's the one that does that. That's acceptable to God. He says, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world. That means the world that's in rebellion against God and his word. Don't be conformed to that. In every area of life, don't be conformed to the world. But be transformed how, by the renewing of your mind. How do you do that? Well, you go to the one that can renew it. That's the Lord God Almighty through his spirit. You go to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, Lord, please transform me. But by, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove. That's exactly what he says in Ephesians that we're looking at. You may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, I'm going to read verse 3. That usually doesn't get included with this. He says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one the measure of faith. So he says, as God's doing this, don't start thinking you're better than other people because that's not holiness. Holiness is where you walk humbly before God and you walk in love and in light. That's how he starts this off. Remember in verse 2 he said of Ephesians, we're back in Ephesians 5 now. Uh, he says, "Be therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. And then we come down here, he tells us, he says, walk as children of light in verse 8. And then he, he says, find out what is acceptable. Prove it. Why? How? By doing it. Jesus said, if any man wants to know the doctrine that I teach, whether it's of men or of God, let him do it. The proof of, of, the, of the scripture is proven in our lives as we begin to walk accordingly. But then Paul says also, these are the things you have to do. There's also some things you're going to need to avoid. Have no fellowship. It means partnership with the unfruitful works of darkness. The Bible says not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Uh, this doesn't mean you can't do business with people, but it means don't get tied up with them because it can really create problems for you. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. There we go. It's unfruitful. Fruitless is the idea there. Why? Because fruit doesn't grow in the dark. Trees don't produce in the dark. If, if they have no light, there's no fruit. And so he's saying don't have any fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. He's talking about the, the immorality and the sins and the compromises of the world. He says, but rather expose them. And that word expose there, the Greek word, elenkos, uh, means to uh, confront, actually. So we are to confront evil. We're not just to sit there and go, well, we can't do anything about it. You know, the world is given over to the devil, so uh, I'll just be here, and maybe I'll go start a monastery or a nunnery or something and just stay away from all that stuff. That's not what this is saying. It says, you're light in the world. The wonderful thing about light when it confronts darkness, what happens? Darkness flees. Okay, That's what we're to do. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bed, but they put it on a candlestick. Okay, or a lamp and put it on a lampstand. Um, that's what we are to be doing. We are to shine the light of the gospel. What happens when you shine light into darkness? The darkness flees. Jesus said men love darkness rather than light in John chapter 3. 
because their deeds were evil. So for everyone who does evil, uh, hates the light, doesn't come to it. Okay, but he that comes to the light shows that his works are done by God or are accomplished by God. And so we are to expose the darkness. We're to confront it. We see this in the abortion uh, issue in our country. It needs to be confronted. They're murdering babies. Christians should speak up about that. You say, well, I'm not good at speaking up. Well, then you need to be praying. You need to let those who are on the front lines know you're praying for them. But the works of darkness need to be exposed. We look at all the the gender confusion going on and the things that are be, being done in our public schools. There's nothing other than recruiting for perverts. We need to be confrontational about that. We need to, to get in their faces, as they say, in a loving Christian manner. Okay. And that means we don't swear at people and we don't, you know, uh, lose our cool when we're talking. But we need to point out this is immorality. This is wrong. The Bible has the standard by which we are to live. In the area of marriage, it is one man and one woman, biologically so. All right. And it's, you know, all the gender confusion, all of this stuff, it's where did this come from? It's just right out of the pits of hell. You talk about darkness. You know, 10 years ago, this stuff was kind of in the corners hiding. Now it's mainstream. And if you speak out against it, well, you're the evildoer. Well, beloved, you need to speak out against it and bear the price. Jesus said, pick up your cross. In our culture right now, if you stand for biblical truth or for just in reasoning, uh, you know, that you're considered to be a troublemaker and an evildoer because you're exposing evil. Francis Schaeffer said that years ago, uh, probably 40 years ago, at least, when he said in our society, it's no longer the person that does evil that's considered the bad person. It's the person, the man or woman who stands up and speaks against it. Well, that's where you have to pick up your cross and do it anyway. If you want the world's friendship, then you can't be friends with Christ, right? Uh, but Paul says you're to expose them, these unfruitful works of darkness. He says, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. So we can't even, it's just disgusting to talk about it even. But he says, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. The light is what shines on the things that are in darkness. For whatever makes manifest is light. And you are light in the Lord, he says. Therefore, he says, and this is the, the call of the gospel, awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead. Christ will give you light. It's interesting. This is the only future tense verb there at the at conclusion of verse 14 in this passage. And it's a promise. Christ will give you light. So if you read this, you go like, man, I'm, you know, I got a lot of things I need to change. Well, beloved, wake up. You know, we talk a lot in our culture about woke culture. It has absolutely nothing to do with what it really means to be awake spiritually. But as believers, we are to wake up and not sleep. And he says, arise from the dead. And literally, it's a, stand up from among the dead men. Okay, uh, And Christ will give you light. God wants you to walk with him. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. I love that. Circumspectly, it's like, you know, what does it, you know, that's not a word we use much, okay? I, I think it's in the Bible, and sometimes it comes up in discussion. I can't recall anybody ever using that word in conversation. You know, if you, most people, I think if you said that, they'd go, I thought we didn't have to get circumcised anymore. That's not what that means, beloved, okay? Circumspectly means accurately, okay? 
Akribos is the Greek word. You can almost hear the word accurate in it, can't you? I'm pretty sure that etymology of our English word is related to that. See then that you walk accurately. What does that mean? It means precisely. What does that mean? That means to do exactly what Scripture says to do. This sloppy agape has gotten us into the mess that we're in where we don't want to speak up because we don't want to offend anybody. They might not, they might, if I tell that person he or she's on their way to hell, they might not like me anymore. Yeah. And they're going to like you a whole lot less when they find themselves in hell because you didn't bother to warn them or to talk to them. I understand the doctrine of election, but I also know God ordains the preaching of the gospel and witnessing to people. So we can't use the doctrine of election and say, well, if they're really elect, I don't need to say anything. They'll get, they'll get saved. It's like Esther when uh, Mordecai told her, he said, you know, God raised you up for this purpose. If you don't speak up, God will raise up somebody else to do it. And you and your house will be destroyed. So if God's put you in a position to speak up, speak up, do it in love, do it with the view, not just, as I say, not just a verbally, throw up on somebody and give them a piece of your mind. Do it with the hope of winning them over to what is right. All right. But speak up. And for you, you have to learn to live precisely. What does God say? And some of you might be thinking, well, I don't know. Well, beloved, that's what we're talking about. Okay. You need to know. You need to get into God's. Now, Paul's writing here to a church. When you have opportunity for fellowship, opportunity to study God's word, you should take it. That means in the mornings, get your Bibles open. If you have opportunity during the day, get your Bible open. For many of you, you don't have to carry around a big giant, you know, pew Bible or pulpit Bible. I've got extra ones of those big giant ones if you want to. Most of you have it on your phones, you know, and instead of play in solitaire or whatever, you know, you can like go to your Bible app. And if you don't have a Bible app, talk to me or talk to one of the elders or anybody that has one, they can tell you how to get it. But we need to spend more time in scripture. That's why I'm a big stickler on good translations because you have to have an accurate translation. If you're reading a Bible that has verses that are mistranslated or following the modern critical text ideas, the verses that are missing, in your Bibles, then when Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth, and you've got a Bible that's defective, then your sanctification is going to be hindered. That's why I'm a big promoter of the New King James or the King James, the old Geneva Bible, or there's other uh, modern ones that are based on the TR. But we need to have Bibles that are not just based on the right text, but that are accurately translated. And we need to be careful about what we're reading, because if you're reading, you know, some modern paraphrase that somebody might like and say, oh, this is really good. We start noticing there's some pretty major changes in it. You need to step back. One of the problems with some of these translations, like when the ESV came out, um, they got accepted and adapted and adopted and everybody's using it. And I just asked, did anybody check this thing out thoroughly? Oh, well, we don't have to. Men from our, our seminaries worked on it. Has anybody checked this thing out? When the Gideons adopted it, they had their little pocket testaments. They had to go back through and tell the publishers, um, we want these verses put back in the ESV for our little pocket translation, our pocket testaments. So they did. The pocket edition of the 
Gideon New Testament. It's far from perfect, but they use the ESV now. But they had to go back and change it in about 300 places so that it would be acceptable for them to give out to people. So the problem is there's about a thousand places where they could have changed it and made it better and didn't. But my point is accurate translations lead to accurate living. If you're reading a paraphrase, you're, you know, I've used the illustration. It's not pretty, and I apologize, but it does put, to, put it in perspective. You wouldn't want someone else to chew your food for you. Okay, birds do it, and then, okay, you know, they can get away with that. Uh, but you don't want someone to, hey, here's a New York steak and mashed potatoes or whatever you like with gravy on it. Getting close to lunch, I shouldn't be using those kind of illustrations. Stay with me if you can, okay? But, um, and so it says, yeah, oh, and by the way, the fellows over here, we have a committee. They chewed it all up for you and spit it back on the plate. It's going to be much easier now for you to eat it. You say, no, thank you. I'd like to get maybe chew it myself, okay? Well, when someone says, oh, these translations are so great, you don't even, you don't even have to think. You, don't have, you know, it's just so easy to read. Peter's, when Peter the Apostle, when he wrote about Paul's writings, he said, Paul has written to you many things that are difficult to understand. If I give you a translation of Paul's writings and everything in it is, by the way, everything in Paul's writing can be understood. But if I give you a, you know, a supposed translation or a paraphrase of Paul's writings where nothing's difficult in it, it's just all smooth. Something's wrong. I'm misrepresenting Paul there. I'm making it easier than it should be. You know, I've used the illustration plenty of times in the past. You know, those of you who do carpentry work, you have your hand saw. Boom, okay, you know how to do that, right? It's got a blade on it. Somebody said, whoa, that's really hard. Let's stand let's here. I ground down all those sharp angles on it so it's much smoother now. It's like, that's great. Try to work with that. What's going to happen? Nothing. You need the sharp angles in Scripture. You need the difficult passages. You need to look at things that are hard to understand and pray about and say, Lord, give me understanding. You need to, if you can't read Hebrew or Greek, you need to have at least a Strong's Concordance or a an app where you can get access to the original and find out word definitions. Why? Because you are to walk circumspectly, akribos, accurately, precisely, not as fools, but as wise. And uh, in verse 15, uh, you're not to, be, not to be unwise, literally, okay? It's, a, it's lacking wisdom which the word fool conveys, but it's actually a negative in the original, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. Literally, literally that's, that's the word for redemption. Buying out of the marketplace is what that means. Ex agorazo is the Greek word. Agora is the, you know, people that have agoraphobia, they don't like to be out in crowds. Uh, agoraphobia, because the agros was the marketplace. They, you know, that's where that, in psychology, that's where that term comes from. But this is ex agarazo. Ex means out of. Agarazo is a causative verb, and it means uh, to buy out. And that's what he says to do. Buy out the time. You know, the Latin phrase carpe diem, uh, which means uh, seize the time, okay, or seize the day, literally. Uh, we're to do that. We're to make use of the time, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. The word there, evil, is not just bad. It's not kakas. It's the word uh, paneros. It means they're morally evil. There's a lot of wickedness going on. 
So you have to redeem the time, make use of the time. You can't sit around and just let evil win. You can't let it just go unchecked in yourself, in your families, and in your society, and in the church. It needs to be dealt with. So he says, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. All right? You need to know God's will. How do you do that? From what he has said. You know, if someone, if I was to go to, you know, or somebody asked me about, let's say you, and they said, what does he or she want? And I start naming off a whole bunch of stuff. Somebody might say to me, did you talk to that person? Oh, no, I don't need to talk to him. I can just figure it out. Oh, um, maybe on a couple of points, but... It's like, no, if you want to know what somebody's will is, you need to ask them about it. You need to talk to them. And then you need to listen to what they say. So if you want to do the will of God and understand what the will of the Lord is, you need to, once it always comes back, you got to know your Bible. You know, here's why this is important. In 2 Thessalonians, when Paul talks about the man of sin, we're not getting into all the eschatological, who's, who is the Antichrist and the man of sin. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm quite persuaded historically it's the papacy. But when Paul talks about the, the people that are deceived by this lawless one, this is 2 Thessalonians verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 9. He said, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. So it comes with miracles, okay? Um, and with all unrighteous deception. Now note what it says. With all unrighteous deception. We just read, don't let any man deceive you. Okay? But this man of sin comes with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. He's able to fool those who end up dying in their sins. How did that happen? Then Paul tells us, because they did not receive the love of the truth. What is truth? Pilate asked that and walked out of the room. Jesus said, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Why did they perish? This is what it says. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. Why did they perish? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion. What? Yeah, when you reject light, what do you get? Okay, when you reject light, you get darkness. When you reject truth, you get deception. For this reason, this is God judicially doing this. For this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. What was the lie? Well, that you can sin against God and still be as God. Okay, you can have a happy, fruitful life, and all you have to do is sin against God. So that was the lie. Okay. For this reason, God should send them, will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. They loved their sin more than God's truth, and they ended up perishing because of it. So Paul warns about this. He says, uh, therefore, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So then he helps us. He says, he's writing to the church there, and he says, and do not be drunk with, with wine. Literally, quit doing it. Okay? Some have said, from the grammar of this, it looks as if some in Ephesus were doing this. Yeah, that can be a besetting sin for some people. Do, do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation. The old King James, which is so hard to understand, according to some, has, which is excess. 
you know, I had to look up dissipation. You know, I wasn't that well taught. And then, um, the Greek word actually means riotous living, okay, wasteful living. The uh, asotia is the, the Greek word, moral abandonment or uh, profligacy, prodigality. Um, it comes from a word that means one who cannot be saved, actually. Uh, the so there is from the word sozos. So here he says, um, don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipated. That is, is it just it's destruction of your life to be given over to those things. But but he doesn't just leave it at that. Says, but be filled with the Spirit. Well, in Colossians, when Paul quotes this, or says this rather, isn't quote, but in, in Colossians, when uh, Paul makes his statement, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Here he says, be filled with the Spirit. So the idea with, if the Holy Spirit's filling your life, you're going to love the Bible. And you're going to be filled with Scripture. You're going to have God's Word in your heart, in your mind, and by God's grace, in your mouth. So he says, uh, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another. See, this is in the context of the fellowship of the saints. Okay, that's why Paul says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves as the manner of some is. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody, literally making music. The word to, that he uses there is the word, to, uh, it's related to the word in Greek, to, to pluck a stringed instrument, you know, in your heart, though he's saying. So, you know, make melody, make music in your heart. Be filled with the Spirit, have God's word in you, and, you know, view that as something beautiful. Uh, giving thanks always again. Here comes Thanksgiving again. If you're filled with the Spirit and God's Word is in your heart and mind, and to the point where you're you're happy in Jesus, you're singing, then you'll be giving thanks. And if you wonder what does God want me to do, if you're not sure, start thanking Him. That's prayer. You know, you can ask for things, and you should. You need to. We all do. But thank Him. Thank God. Just say, Lord, I thank you. I praise Your name. You know, read the Psalms. Okay. Uh, the hymns, spiritual songs, you know, get music into your home, get get it into your heart. If you're not good, you know, you can borrow a hymnal from us. It's not hard. You can go online and find the hymns and songs, and then the book of Psalms is in your Bible. You can just open it up and just sing those to the Lord, you know, but singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. But he's talking about this in the context of fellowship also. It's great to talk about who won the game last night and all those kind of things, but what changes your brothers and sisters is when you're talking about Jesus. And I don't mean just like talkative in Pilgrim's Progress where all you do is talk, but glorifying him, praising his name, letting them know you're thankful for them. And, and if you see somebody where the Lord's at work, you know, then let them know that, hey, I was encouraged by what I saw. I appreciate what you're doing. And, you know, it's good to see you being faithful in your covenant responsibilities, etc. Giving thanks always for all things. Why? Because all things work together for good to those that love God. In, in because of Christ, God's sovereignty. But in everything, give thanks, Paul says also in First Thessalonians, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So you can give thanks to God for your troubles, for your afflictions. You can give thanks to God for the blessings. You give thanks to God for the people in your life. <laughs> Beloved, Give thanks to God. You might have a few people in your life say, eh, that person kind of irritates me. Give thanks for that person, okay? Because that's God showing you you need to love that individual. All right? Give him thanks that he's showing you that. But we need to pray for each other. It's within the context of being thankful for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. 
Now, that doesn't mean that I can't do anything until I get you're okay. But it means that I listen to what you have to say. If you have concerns, I listen. If if uh, if you are doing this, then you're going to listen to what others have to say. What are your concerns? You know, the people in your life, what are they thinking? You need to know that. And it's not your will that needs to be done. You know, when we say the Lord's Prayer, we don't say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. My will be done and on earth as it should be done in heaven. You don't say that. That would be horrible. If you prayed a prayer like that, you'd be sinning. Okay, we say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how we pray. We're praying for God's will to be done. So uh, when we see this here, well, what is God's will? Well, he wants you to submit to one another. That is, it's not your will that has to be done. It's God's will. So you have to know what God's will is and then submit yourself to it. And that mutual submission that comes from brothers and sisters, putting a value on what their brothers and sisters have to say. So may God give us grace to do that. May he be pleased to fill us with his Holy Spirit and fill our hearts with song and praise, even in the midst of all our troubles. Let's just praise God and trust him because he's at work. Praise God for the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us and rose again so that all of this could happen. We have a true Savior who's really saving us and changing us. In spite of ourselves, in spite of our failures, Jesus gets all the glory. And through him, the Father and the Holy Spirit. So praise God's name. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we ask you to be with us now. We pray that you would bless us. We ask you, Lord, to accomplish in us those things that your word declares. And we do pray, Lord God, that you would give us grace to separate from evil, first in ourselves by confessing our sins and forsaking them, turning from them, and relying and trusting in your power to help us to do that, Lord. And also to help us to love one another and give us grace to walk in the light, to be the light, Lord, uh, and to reprove wicked works and to be able to speak up, Lord, against sin, but also to do so in the context of presenting the good news of the gospel, that there is mercy and there is forgiveness and lives can be changed and are being changed because of you, Lord Jesus. So, Father, bless us now, we pray. Help us to love you. Forgive us where we have failed to love each other as we should and really fail to love you as we ought to. But bring it about in us, Lord, and fill our hearts with song, for we ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen.